Hey guys, coming up today on Sports Spectrum, uh, this is one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. And I've said that a few times, but I mean that when I talk about the stories that are shared on today's show. Don Yeager is our guest. He is an 11-time New York Times bestselling author. He's a leadership speaker. He's an executive coach. He's a podcast host. He used to work with Sports Illustrated for many, many years as a associate editor there and a writer. And he's done tons of books with some of the biggest names in sports. When you think about people like John Wooden, Bubba Watson, Walter Payton, he's doing one right now that's coming out in about a month or so with Deion Sanders, Coach Prime. And man, does this guy have stories to share. He's also a faithful follower of Jesus. And a lot of what he talks about with the stories that he shares are connected because of faith. It's almost like faith has been an advantage of his, faith in Christ as an advantage of his to be able to get access to some of these people at the highest platform who also love Jesus, like Scott Drew, like John Wooden, like Coach Prime. I was just listening. That's all I was doing, guys. I asked a few questions, but I listened because Don Yeager is a wonderful storyteller, and I can't wait for you to hear the conversation coming up on Sports Spectrum. I want to remind you, of course, about our Sports Spectrum magazine. Go to sportspectrum.com. You can subscribe right at the top of the magazine there. And on the website, you can click that magazine icon and click that one-year subscription and subscribe. It's, it's one of the best things that we do. And the beautiful thing about the magazine is it's something that you can hold in your hand. And there's devotionals and articles and stories. And what you can do is, is read those, obviously, and hopefully they encourage you you can share that with someone else. We're all looking for ways to share the gospel. Well, the Sports Spectrum magazine could actually be a way for you to share the gospel through the lens of sports. When you check out, use the code PODCAST15. It's exclusive to people listening to this show. 15% off a one-year subscription. Use the code PODCAST15 and subscribe today to the Sports Spectrum magazine over at sportspectrum.com. great when you can have an 11-time New York Times best-selling author. He is Don Yeager. Don, I've been waiting to talk to you, my friend. So glad you could join us here on Sports Spectrum. Jason, what an honor. Thank you. And I, I love everything that you all do and stand for. So thank you for allowing me to, to be, a, be a teammate for today. Yeah, this is going to be a fantastic conversation because I first heard about you and, and learned about you, if you will, by reading Walter Payton's book that you collaborated with him on. Can't wait to talk about that. But you mentioned what we're all about, and that's certainly the Lord. I want to start there. Let's talk about your faith and tell me about the importance of, of Christ in your life and maybe how that all kind of came about. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm the son of a preacher. Uh, my dad was a Methodist preacher, uh, born and raised in Hawaii, where uh, he had a church. Um, the Methodist church had him there, and uh, we uh, lived there till I was 11, and then he ended up uh, uh, joining um, a, a ministry, a radio ministry that took us to Okinawa, Japan for a couple of years. Wow. So I'm 13 years old and um, I had never even stepped foot in the continental United States. And my my dad uh, asked uh, for an opportunity with the church to, to actually move. And we ended up in inner city, Indianapolis, Indiana. Okay. And uh, yep. so uh, yeah, Hawaii, Japan, 
inner city Indianapolis, not really a natural track for most, <laughs> but we, um, but the, you know, growing up, faith was just, it was a part of everyday life, right? You, you, um, and uh, in some ways, I, I think you kind of get spoiled in that. I, I'm sure maybe some of your listeners might appreciate that. You, you don't actually feel like there's a transitionary moment, right? There's not, there's not the, the you know, the glow, the lights, the, yeah. you know, the come um, to Jesus the, moment, if you will. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It just was, it was, it was just you, you every day you're, you're witnessing it. You're seeing it, uh, seeing it in play uh, at home and um, in such a wonderful and dramatic way. Um, now that said, uh, you know, so I, I first accepted Christ as a, as a teen, I, I think, you know, in a, not, not, I think, but I, in a window in which I was, I said, man, this is a commitment I want to make. Mm. Uh, then I went away from college and went away to college and did what a lot of kids do. And um, probably uh, found myself uh, not on the right path. Uh, and it was uh, a few years later when I was a little deeper into my prof- early part of the, my professional career when I just, I, I realized that I, um, I had stepped away. My mother was a wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, it was person of wisdom mm-hmm. and was able to just come and sit down with me and say, you know what, I see things in you that, that aren't quite, and, and, and she said it in such a wonderfully and graceful way that I didn't, I, I felt convicted, but not ashamed. And I think that that's a real gift when someone can actually speak into you yeah. and not um, not shame you into suddenly realizing that you weren't being who you should be. Um, and so that became part uh, that, that I uh, became uh, more active and, and, and really spent my time uh, digging into my relationship with Christ. And um, and it's just it's it's played a powerful role in uh, in much my uh, much my adult life, and it's been a really incredible role in even the work that I get a chance to do these days, writing books. Um, I mean, I've been blessed over the last couple of years to work with Bubba Watson, amazing man of faith, Rick Hendrick, incredible man of faith. Um, you know, uh, and currently, and I know we're going to talk about it, Deion Sanders. Yeah. Um, people may miss that, but boy, his faith. I mean, I've met a lot of folks who profess faith, and then there are some who are on fire. Dion is on fire, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's special uh, to be. So I, the opportunity, one of the things that you would appreciate in our world of journalism is that uh, there aren't a lot of people of faith, necessarily deep faith in journalism. And so it was a in many ways, it's kind of almost been a differentiator. Scott Drew, when he, you know, we began and ended every interview of our book together with prayer. And, you know, he just knew there were uh, there were other writers he could not engage that kind of relationship with. And so faith for me, um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a wonderful way, became a professional advantage. Yeah. Uh, which I love to love to share people because too often we think of it as being uh, something that holds us back. In fact, it it's opened doors for me. The fact that I am um, that I uh, that I I believe means something to a lot of people. So, when did you recognize that that your faith could be advantageous to building? Because I didn't realize this much either until later in my ESPN career, and ultimately when I left to kind of do this with sports ministry, did I realize? Oh, I I can begin to have relationships and connections with some of these people 
because we're like-minded. We both believe in the same thing and it helps gain, quite frankly, access to be able to talk to some of them on our show because they know I'm going to ask them about their faith in, in Christ. When did you realize that that could be something that was advantageous for you? It was interesting. At Sports Illustrated, obviously, I, I everybody knew where my faith was in, in my um my role as both a person, a journalist, and and, and what stood out to me, uh, they didn't call on Sunday mornings. You know, there, there were things that were that that happened differently for me than for others because they understood my faith. That said, um, it also led. There were times when they said, you know, hey, we've got this person that we need to interview. The faith is really important to them. Uh, you're you're our one person that can speak fluent fundamentalist. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna send you. Uh, I, I I actually started drawing some assignments uh, that happened on several occasions at SI where they um, recognized that there was a there was something there that I, that I brought to the table uniquely because of my faith and because I I didn't shy from it and so it um, it allowed me to stand out in, in my own little way um, on different places but beyond that it just you know as John Wooden who I had the chance to work with uh, for 12 years, uh, used to say to me all the time, you know, just make sure that if they try you for your faith, that there's enough evidence to convict you. Yes. Right. You know, yes. you don't have to, you don't have to be out there with a bullhorn. We don't, you don't, you don't need three steps and a, and a, and a Bible and a sign on a street corner. Just make sure that if they try you for your faith, that there's enough evidence to convict you. Wow. And uh, coach Wooden was a great influence on me as well. Yeah. I want to talk about coach Wooden. I want to talk about Walter Payton in just a second, but if, if I'm talking to the 21-year-old Don Yeager, who's at Ball State, right? You went to Ball State. Um, oh, look at you! you did your research? Did my research? Yeah. Uh, who am I talking I know, to? At, I who am I talking to at that point? Like, who's the 21-year-old Don Yeager? What was the dreams of, of that guy? Well, I had um, uh, I, I I was in student journalism at a really high level, but I, you know, at 19 years old, I became the the youngest. Um, uh, I was the youngest nominee finalist for for uh, a Pulitzer Prize for an article that I had done uh, for the student newspaper, which was crazy. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, again, I, I'm God is good in that he didn't allow me to win uh, because I would have been I'm, I would have been miserable. Um, uh, but, you know, I was quite full of myself. I was really sure that I was I was pretty amazing. And all you had to do was ask me and I'd tell you. Um, and uh, and so. I think I had I had lost a little I I had found something I was good at and and I had lost any connection to humility um, and uh, it took it took a couple of opportunities to get uh, to be embarrassed by by mistakes um, to remember and to get myself back and it, it, it was all part and parcel with that window of time in more of my mid twenties when my mother came to sit down and say look I. I think there's a part of you that's that's not the part that I, I know you would be most proud of later in life. And mm. um, so, yeah, in that early 20s, I was I was pretty darn full of me. But were your dreams to kind of do some of the things that you were able to do? Because people ask me that, too. When I was in college, I wanted to host my own sports talk show in 1996. Right. And uh, I ended up being a producer behind the scenes for many years. And now in my late forties, I'm just turned 50. I'm hosting my own show, but not in the way at all 
that I thought got that I thought would ever happen. So what were the dreams? Like, did you, could you have ever imagined that you would be writing books with people like Deion Sanders and John Wooden and Walter Payton? Not at all. I was, uh, I, I wanted to work at newspapers. I wanted to be, uh, frankly, I wanted to be an investigative journalist. That was my, okay. you know, that was my window. That was my time. That was actually the story that led, you know, to uh, many of my recognitions and awards in college. Um, it was what I did in the early part of my career. I wanted to be that investigative guy. Um, I just, I kind of felt like that was way, my way to make my mark on the world. They would never forget me because uh, I would, I would leave scorched earth behind me when I, when I walked out. <laughs> and as you know, there's a lot of invest, investigative work that has to be done and needs to be done. And it's an important part of American journalism. Um, and I was committed to it and uh, in ways in which in some ways it became my God. Right. It became I I so wanted that next big story, whatever it might be, you know, uh, hey, we need a reporter to go travel with the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Sign me up, coach. Yeah. You know, I wanted whatever it was that was uh, the next big story. And uh, that's how I was defining me um, uh, individually. And that was um, in many ways where I uh, where I, I that was that window where I would begin to lose myself. We're talking to Don Yeager here on Sports Spectrum, 11-time New York Times bestselling author. And I got to ask you, because I know the Peyton book was where I was introduced to you by the Walter Peyton book. And it was such a profound book. And it was released after he had passed away in his his very public battle um, before he passed away. And he's such an iconic figure in the history of the NFL. And as a kid who grew up watching the NFL since I was seven years old and loved the NFL today and loved watching football in general to see him pass um, was just really sad to see. And then when his book came out, I started reading it and I wasn't a Christian yet, Don, if I'm being honest when I read it, but I do remember quite a bit of faith, especially towards the end of his career being talked about. Want to get to that in a second, but how does that come about? Because I know that was such a game changer for you with opportunities. How does Don Yeager and Walter Payton get put together to begin writing a book? Well, I had met Walter a number of times earlier. Um, we had we, I'd interviewed him, worked with him on different things, um, and then he was then he got sick. And when he got sick, he happened to be looking. He realized, you know, he was forty six, right? Yeah. Uh, if he was going to tell his story, it needed to happen then. Uh, you know, at the time, he was sick, but not yet. He, he didn't yet know he was going to die, and then he. Um, so he went on a journey to try to find a writer to do a book with him. And, uh, um, and as it happened in the middle of all that, uh, he was struggling with the people he was talking to. They weren't connecting as he was hoping. Um, and he, and I was on Oprah Winfrey show for a story I had done for sports illustrated. And, um, uh, and he saw me remembered our interactions and called. And said, look, I, I need to do a book and I need to do it now. And um, I saw you on Oprah and I'm just wondering, would you be interested? And it's like, are you kidding? Like, sign me up, coach. Again, right? Bring me, bring. I flew to Chicago that night. The next morning he shared with me um, that he had just learned that um, that he was no longer eligible for an organ and that um, that the that the disease he had would ultimately cost him his life, hmm. and he wanted to know if I would um, 
I would live there, if I would be part of that, uh, of, of his closing weeks of his life. And I was there for 10 weeks and um, had the opportunity to, he was my hero, right? Like you're like, you know, we, and, and we both been there. Most of us are told don't really get to know your hero because they'll always let you down. Yeah. Walter was the complete exception to that conversation. Wow. Walter Payton was the greatest football player in my mind to ever play the game. Uh, and he was a better man than that, which is a really big statement to make. Mm. And, um, and to be with him and to watch him in these weeks in which, you know, uh, things were, uh, you know, there, he knew what the end game was going to be. And yet he was trying to squeeze every ounce of life out of, of, of those last weeks and I was honored to be part of that journey with him. Wow. So a couple follow-ups on that. Uh, I've known Jarrett a long time, his, his son, Jarrett Payton. Just to, if you're talking, the way you describe Walter is the way I would describe, and I know you know him too, Jarrett Payton. Like it's just a, just a dynamite human being with a smile on his face all the time. And he honors his dad in such a beautiful way and loved his father. When you think about the end, you said the last 10 weeks or so was of his life, you were with him. There was a moment, and just in doing some research and reading some things, I believe, I haven't read the book in 20 years, so forgive me on this, but I'm remembering that Walter, I feel like, encountered a, and had a really interesting experience with God towards the end of his life too, didn't he? Sure did. He absolutely did. It was a... Um... It's one of those things, you know, Walter grew up in the church and, you know, Mississippi, and he, um, you know, would, would proudly have declared himself a Christian for much of his life, but he had windows like many people do where, where, where the distance between he and his faith, um, you know, would seem, would seem great. Um, and where his actions didn't really, uh, comport to that of, uh, of, a, of a person who believed. Um, but he as he was as he was fighting in this last period he really felt like he had several encounters with um with with a um you know a a, a being who would remind him that he had this need to say um the right words uh, about his faith when asked and and he did in in our conversations you know he didn't it didn't they and it was interesting because i think had i really approached him 6 months earlier uh, he might have had different answers but um and it's a shame and he even acknowledged the sadness of the fact that it took him being in that condition to feel or to 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 experience some of that yeah. but a lot of that is you know you have to be ready for it the spirit when it comes your way and he hadn't been ready. And so, um, you know, it was a, uh, but he, yeah, it was a beautiful little piece of the book. It wasn't the, uh, because it, the book covered so much of his life. There was only a piece of it, but, but yes, uh, faith became, uh, incredibly important. In fact, he and I prayed, uh, on, on every, every opportunity that we had to, to, to spend time doing an interview, we would, uh, We'd begin or end it with prayer. Wow. That's beautiful to hear. Yeah, it reminds me of the thief on the cross in Luke, you know, when he's Jesus is up there on the cross and the thief's right next to him and he, you know, he he gets welcomed into paradise like minutes before he's about to die. And I always think 
you know, sure, you get sad for some people uh, who've known Christ their whole life and are on fire for Jesus their whole life. And then there's people who right before they know their time is up, make that decision and there's no difference. Like it's just a beautiful part of grace and the beautiful part of the gospel. Our God welcomes all. (laughs) Yes, he does. Yes, he does. That's right. When you were... When you were writing that book with Walter and then it came out and people started reading it, what did that do for your career? That had to really be an interesting... It changed everything. It changed everything, right? Yeah, I was already at Sports Illustrated at the time. Uh, so Which is a big deal anyways, from, right? <laughs> from, it was a big deal at the time. Yeah, but, of course. Um, uh, and and it was a... Pr- so I was, you know, established in my career, but not... Um, you know, I look, I mean, Sports Illustrated has some talented people and I would just happen to be on the staff, right? I wouldn't put sure. myself in the echelon of of super talent. Um, but when Walter Payton, I've said this a number of times, when Walter Payton wraps his arms around me and says, I trust you, because that was the ultimate trust, right? You, you think about writing a book with somebody, most people you write a book with will read the book before it uh, comes out right yes. walter payton knew he knew given the circumstances he would have to trust that i would represent him well and that and in fact that bore you know that bore fruit um in a really uh, unique story i'll share with you real quick please um one day i was with walter and um and we're it's probably three weeks three and a half weeks for the end and i um and i asked him i said walter you know you've First ballot Hall of Famer, uh, you know, le- leading rusher in the history of the NFL, Super Bowl champion, um, name it. There is not an accolade in that profession you don't currently possess. If you could trade all of that for one day in the future, what would the day be? Hmm. He did not bat an eye. And he looked at me and he said, I would give it all to walk my daughter down the aisle. Wow. Jared's little sister, Brittany, at the time was 13 years old. And Walter proceeded to tell me what her wedding day would be like, what it would be like for him to get to give his little girl away. Right. And, uh, and what he would say and what it would, he just, and he like, it was all there, right? He had, um, you could tell this was not something he was making up on the fly. He had already envisioned it. So he passes. I'm writing the book. And there is no way I can let some 13-year-old little girl read in a book that her dad was thinking about her wedding. Right. Can't do it. So I never included that in the book. It was amazing content. If you think about it, right? Our job as content providers. Boy, how awesome I could put in the book this amazing story from Walter Payton about what he would say to his 13-year-old daughter. But it would have been completely inappropriate for me as a man to have done that. And Walter trusted me. And so I didn't put it in there. I didn't even tell Brittany about the conversation. I didn't tell Connie, his widow, about the conversation. Didn't tell Jared. 14 years later, I get a phone call from Brittany Payton. Don, I'm getting married. And I'd like you to come to the wedding. Wow. And I'm like, Brittany? I got something for you. And I got to go sit down with Brittany Payton and sit down with her and tell her what her father had shared with me that he would say to her on the day she got married. Mm. 
only happened because he trusted me. Yeah. Knowing that even though he was answering my question, I would handle it um, appropriately. And I think I did. Um, most extraordinary experience just a, just a few weeks ago, actually. Um, I was in Phoenix for a speech. And uh, as it happens, uh, Brittany now lives in Phoenix. And she happens to know the bank that I was speaking for. And so um, I knew she lived near the country club where I was going to be speaking. I called her, you know, or I texted her and she said, oh, sorry, I'm not in Phoenix. Can't, can't be there. I'd love to see you, blah, blah, blah. Got it. Yeah. She tells me she's in Vail. Uh, all good. So I go to do my speech. The CEO of the bank gets up on the dais and he says, by the way, we brought in somebody special to introduce Don today. And I, I turned around and walking by me is Brittany Payton. They had arranged for her to come and to tell the room that story Wow! about the fact. And so, <laughs> A, I was crying as I am right now. The room was crying, as you might imagine. And then I had to get up and speak afterward. Like, that, how worthless was I? <laughs> um, you know, yeah, that's not fair, a, Don. That's not fair. It was totally an unfair moment, but it was uh, spectacular wow. as an opportunity. But what back to your question walter payton trusted me and it changed my career because others immediately assumed if walter would trust that guy i will too and so you sometimes the gift that people give you of their of their confidence in you uh is immeasurable that's incredible i mean especially i'm a dad to a daughter i mean i only have one child and she's She's 19 right now. Um, she doesn't have a boyfriend. She's not anywhere, at least right at this moment, anywhere near getting married. But I feel like that would be my answer too. Like I just, when you started telling that story, I mean, I don't, are you, do you have a daughter in your life? I do. I have a 14 year old. There yeah. you go. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. she's that same age. My daughter's 19 and I immediately go to uh, just being a dad of a little girl. Forget legendary hall of fame walter payton and all that you just immediately relate because you're a dad right powerful well the trust that walter payton showed led you to so many other people you mentioned a few of them and one of the guys i really needed to ask you about and i remember early in my espn career this is 2001 maybe we used to do a show that I produced called The Legends on ESPN Radio, and Chuck Wilson was the host, and he would interview these legendary people, and we were able to get John Wooden to come on the show. And I remember we were scheduled for an interview, let's say it was five o'clock, and the phone rings, and I knew it was probably going to be him or somebody with his you know, with his team, if you will. And I answered the phone, ESPN Radio, this is Jason. He goes, Jason this is John, you know, in his very soft spoken, you know, voice, this is John Wooden. Um, I think I'm scheduled for an interview with you guys. I said, yes, sir, Mr. Wooden, you are, uh, is now a good time. Yes. And he was probably, I don't know what he would have been at that time. 90, maybe in 2001, yeah, near 90. Yeah. Yeah, near yep. 90. Yeah. And I just sat and listened and produced an episode with, with Chuck of an interview that he did with John Wooden and thought this is unbelievable that yeah. I'm listening in on this conversation. You didn't just get to listen in. You get to meet him and work with him for many years, as you said earlier. Please tell us a little bit about John Wooden, share stories. I know his faith was vital to him in his life. Maybe just share a little bit of your time with him. I, I, I'll i share quickly. So he, um, the, 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 
I had met him again, you know, working, writing stuff. But then um, I had heard this is um, uh, in the mid nineties, 96, I think Shaq was in LA playing for the Lakers. And, uh, and I had heard through his college coach, Dale Brown, who's a great friend, um, actually godfather to both of my children. I love Dale Brown so much. Love that. Um, But Dale Brown shared with me that, Shaq was going out on a monthly basis to spend an afternoon with John Wood. And I was like, what's Shaq and John Wood? Shaq, 26-year-old hip-hop, making the worst movies, Kazam, movies like that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll give you bad visuals, right? Yeah. Kazam. Um, what do Shaq, 26, John Wood, 88 at the time, what do the two of them talk about? And so I, I wrangled an invitation. And uh, through Shaq and Shaq's, I said, well, what is it? He said, these are mentoring sessions. Coach is my mentor. And I thought, wow. So I go and I'm thinking it's going to be, you know, we're talking about the game. We're going to talk about, you know, being a big man, passing, whatever. I spent three hours. Not a minute of it is about basketball. It's about how to be a better man, how to be a better father, better husband, better teammate. Right. It was about, you know, you being better. It was Coach Wooden just coaching him up on Shaq as a person. And so um, I get up at the end and I'm like, Coach, you know, I'm just wondering, um, how, how does somebody get mentored by, by somebody like you? Like, how does that happen? And he looked at me and he said, you ask. <laughs> That's simple. I said, I said, well, how many people ask? And he said, not as many as you might imagine. He said, most people uh, don't ask other people if they would pour into their lives because they are just, uh, you know, they're afraid of what the answer might look like, right? Uh, And so uh, let's just not ask. Let's assume the answer is going to be no anyway. So, So I go away, write a little story about this interaction, this mentoring and I call coach afterward and um, I, I'd shared it with him and I asked him what he thought and we're all good. And I said, you know, coach, something told me as I was standing there that I was supposed to ask. And he looked at me and he said on the phone, or is he on the phone, he said, what took you so long? <laughs> wow. And from that moment, we began a 12-year relationship. Every other month for 12 years, I flew to California to spend a day with John Wooden. Um, oh recorded gosh. hundreds hundreds of hours of conversation. I would over-prepare for every opportunity to go learn from the master. Um, and and he poured into me. Uh, you know, he um, I became a dad during that window. He For the first time, he said, I really want to meet your son. So... You know, uh, he's just a little kid and uh, nine months old and we're flying him across the country so that he could sit in John Wooden's lap. And I remember Coach Wooden had fallen that morning hmm. and it actually hurt his thumb, pulled it all the way backwards. So he he was in pain, like it was all bruised. And I'm sitting there and I look over and there's my little boy and he has grabbed Coach Wooden's hand and stuck his thumb in my son's mouth. Like he's, has, he's sucking on John, he's sucking on greatness, the thumb of greatness, right? <laughs> That's right. But it was, and and I'm thinking, oh, that's got to hurt. And Coach Wooden is like, don't stop this. This is awesome. Like, you know, I mean, he just, wow. he was amazing. Wow. Yeah. So you write books with him too. He's not just your mentor. But I wrote, I wrote one book. One so book. what happened yeah. is that 10 years in, 
Um, I, I never asked him about a book. I always thought that would be inappropriate. I was honoring of the opportunity and the relationship, the learning, the giving that he was giving me. I didn't ever want to pollute it with this idea that I wanted to profit, right? And finally, we're 10 years in, and, I'm, and he's now 90 at the time. Then he would be 98, right? And I'm like, Coach, you know, why have you never written a book about mentoring? You, you value it. You give it to people like me. You give it to people like Sh You give mentoring to others. Why would you not write about it? And he was like, uh, why don't we do that? And so we, we crafted a book. First half of it are the seven mentors of his life, hmm. seven people who shaped who he would become. The back half are seven people whose lives he changed by mentoring them. And um, it came out on his 99th birthday. And it was the last book written with John Wooden while he was still alive. Wow. I have and, not read uh, that book. I need to get it. Cause I, do you feel well, Don too? I mean, I'm 50 um, and I have such a yearning to want to pour into younger people. Now I work as the, with the young adults at my church and anytime a, a high school or a college, or even somebody that's fresh out of college, getting into the world that we both have worked in for many years, if they call me, I am like, absolutely. It's, it's always got to be a yes to me because why were, why are they asking me? Who am I? But if there's anything I can offer, I'm like, I want to give it to them. Do you find that at, at the stage of I, life that you're I do. into? The one, thing, the one thing I've grown to realize is that sometimes you need to like, and so I saw Coach do this. Um, like Coach said, he said, here are the standards that are going to have to happen in order for us to be in this kind of relationship. Um, he said, first off, you always come well prepared. Like, mm. don't come in here. Don't come looking for a picture. Don't come looking for an autograph. Like, come with your questions, and I will give you what you ask. Mm. I will I will pour back into you. Um, but don't come looking for. And so one thing that really stood out to me was the importance of establishing a little bit of a contract. Like, uh, yeah, I'd be glad to pour into you, but I want you to do these things, right? I want you to read this. I want you to Coach challenged me to do certain things. And part of that was just because he wanted to make sure that I was um, I was treating this with the honor the and, and the gift that it really was, right? And so um, I, I do that now. When somebody asks, I'm like, hey, you know what? I, do me a favor. Uh, read, read, John, read the book I did with John Wooden. Yep. And when you're done thinking about that, um, share with me what you learned about mentoring as a result. And then let's let's talk about how we might be able to spend a little time together. Yeah, that's smart. And, uh, because I I just I want it, uh, um, you know I want it to be something that is that's that's not just transactional. I want it to feel like it's it's quite um, that there's depth to it. And Coach challenged me to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you talk a, a lot of faith with Coach? I would imagine you did, right? His yeah, deep rooted faith is not. I mean, that's that was on display, right? Uh, everywhere, everywhere. Um, you know, he, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, he taught me so much. I just, I, one thing that stood out to me was, um, it, many people know that on the 21st day of every month, John Wooden would sit down to write his wife a love letter. That was the day in which she passed away. And he did so for 25 years, right? Wrote her a love letter every, every month on that day. One day, I, I, I mean, a couple of different days I was there on the day that he was writing his letter and I had to sit silently while coach penned this beautiful letter to his wife. Then he would fold it up, put it in an envelope, lick it, set the envelope on her side of the bed, 
take last month's envelope and put it in a box. And there were boxes, these letters, beautiful letters, um, which no one ever read. Like, you know, these were John Wooden's letters to his wife. So one day, um, and I, I mean, I could almost tell you when exactly it was, um, but it was a, it was October of the year that we were together. And I said, coach, was there ever anything in these letters that you wished you'd said to your wife while she was alive? And he said, all of it. He said, one of the great, one of the great mistakes we make is we think we're going to both be around forever. And I didn't say many of these things and I wished I had. It's what these letters are. They're me getting a chance to say them to her. And I, um, I came home that October and I decided that that year for Christmas to give my wife a box with 52 letters in it, one for every Friday that just had uh, something I loved about her and us and our relationship and our family and our children, something I loved in, in every, in every envelope. Um, and I discovered, you know, for all the Tiffany jewelry or whatever else I might've given her, that that became her most prized gift, right? With these 52 letters. Um, so the next year I sat down and wrote her 52 more, um, this year, I'm, I'm, I, I think the number that I will finish off with will be uh, right now. It's like in seven, the 720 letter range right now. Wow. Uh, so however many years that's been 13, I think years of letters. Um, and, um, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm writing right now the letters to her for next year so that I will present on Christmas, uh, 52 letters again, hmm. uh, It'll take us to the 770s, somewhere in there. I think I, I noticed that as the last envelope when my kids now make the envelopes up and uh, and then so that it's, you know, they get to experience uh, what it's like. Wow. Don, you're making us, all the husbands that are listening, including myself, you're making us look bad, my friend. I got to <laughs> go get a box and some envelopes and some paper right now and start this thing up. <laughs> well, I have, it's funny because I, I shared this in a, in a small group of our, of, uh, our church um, a couple of years ago, just some guy, we were talking about stuff and I shared this. And one of the guys came up after me and he goes, what would you charge me for like 50 of those? Like, you know, <laughs> just to, like, you would, like, would you write 50 for me? Just tell me. like, <laughs> Yeah. A little side gig that you can, that you yeah, can I do, could John. just write a little side hustle, love letters to your wife. Oh, yeah. Right. That's exactly. so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, listen, as we wind down, I do want to make sure, cause that was fantastic. Uh, John Wooden stories, Walter Payton stories. How about Deion Sanders? And that's what, oh, you know, you're, gosh. you're finishing up right now as people will listen to this, the book will be coming out. Uh, very soon, March 12th uh, of 2024. Uh, the book's called Elevate and Dominate, 21 Ways to Win on and off the field. I like the number 21. That was Dion's number. I'm sure that's intentional as well. How does how does the relationship with Dion come together and the idea of this book? Well, um, the relationship with Dion, uh, you know, I'd I known him a little bit in the NFL, I, uh, but, but uh, it was a colleague of his um, who knew he was writing a book or going to, uh, he was talking to writers again and just, I, I, I got the opportunity to be in the mix. And, yeah. um, and so when he told me the name of the book was going to be 21, you're going to love this as a, as a man of faith, you understand I'm a big fan of John Maxwell. He and I are business partners in some things. Mm -hmm. uh, so Dion, I said, you know, 21, I get it. You know, that was your Jersey number. And he goes, Oh, that's only part of it. 
He goes, uh, he goes, the first leadership book I ever read was written by this cat named John Maxwell. <laughs> this cat. <laughs> cat named John Maxwell. He, he said it was 21 ways, uh, 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Of course. He said that changed the way that I saw leadership. The book meant so much to me. I reached out to his company, his office, and he came, he came to my crib. Hmm. He said he came to my, and he said, and he, and it was amazing. I got this opportunity to sit and learn from John Maxwell. And so this book is in part an honor to this guy who changed so much about me. John ultimately is the writing the forward to the book amazing. That, that we're writing now. So, um, yes, 21 is his jersey number, but it also is a uh, is a tribute to uh, John Maxwell, which wow. is uh, and it's a leadership book. It's Dion speaking to a younger generation to, you know, um, about ways that he would offer that things you need to be thinking of ways you need to conduct yourself. And faith is throughout the book. Bible verses quoted. He is not he does not run from his faith. I love every bit of it. Um, he is, uh, he's a, he's a, um, as I said, not just a Christian, but a man on fire. Yeah. I, I should say we both have been calling him Dion, but he's coach prime of course coach as well. Prime. And That's right. he starts off so hot in the 2023 year. And then obviously I thought, I think there's so many lessons in the second half of what this 2023 year was like, because everybody was crowning him and putting him up on the right. pedestal. And I watched him and maybe we can get into this a little bit, but I watched him in how he would react when his team wasn't winning and they lost some tough games. Uh, mm. And it was the same. It was really mm. the same. And I was like, wow. So I'm talking to Don Yeager here, who's, who was probably with Dion during some of this because maybe he started writing the book before, but once that started, started writing it place, a year ago, actually. a year ago, so, right. Yeah, yeah, so he wasn't yeah. even at Colorado yet. When you no, think about it, exactly. um, so yep. a lot happened in his life as you're writing this book with him. Did anything change in regards to how this season went this past season and trying to incorporate some of that in the book? I think there was no question that he, um, that team was playing above its uh, you know, it was punching above its weight, of right? Course. There was, yeah. it, it, you know, they were not that good when they were three and zero, and they're not as bad at, as they are at four and eight, right? So the bottom line is, um, you know, everything, uh, you know, there's a rhythm to things. They were they were living too high when they were three and zero, and I think they learned a lot of lessons. And I know Dion did. I know, uh, you know, it hurt. I mean, he he. He conducted himself well, or I believe he did, but he, but it hurt, you know, and, um, but one thing that did not change was, uh, the way he looked at everything as a lesson, right? Mm -hmm. He says, I, I coach for an audience of one and, um, you know, it's not, uh, and we can all appreciate what that audience is of course. and it's not, um, you know, it wasn't for the, for the fans or what he coaches for an audience of one and he wanted to make sure he was always there. I loved you know, one line that he shared with me, which was just so wonderfully John Wooden like, right? Is that I asked him, I said, Coach, when will you know whether this was a successful year or not? Like, you know, what would success look like? And he said, I'll tell you 20 years from now, hmm. which is what John Wooden used to say, because he said, 20 years from now, you'll know what the young men that I was tasked with leading have turned out to be. And that's when we'll know whether we were a success. Didn't get any better than that. No, that is that is wisdom upon wisdom right there. And a great reminder, I think, in the world that we live in today where everything, I mean, you saw it, right? When they were 3-0, and 
they were crowned. They were on top of the world, every top, every. And the second there was a little bit of a bump, the first loss, when I think it was on ESPN, it was maybe against Oregon, if I'm remembering correctly. The second right. they lost, everybody wanted to rip them apart and throw them down the hill. And I'm thinking, that's that. But what he just told you or what you just shared with us that he told you, that's wisdom. Like this is a deeper thing than just winning games and having all the fun one week to another uh, or trying yep. to be on ESPN and be talked about in a positive way. And that's what he said. He's like, you know, hey, look, you want to know what success looks like? Success is I don't have a bunch of guys getting girls pregnant. I don't have a bunch of guys getting in trouble. I don't have a bunch, you know, success is they see what it, what their potential can be and they work toward it. If I'm uh, if I am a, a contributor to that, we are successful. Don Yeager, this has been fantastic. My last question for you, by the way, I want to mention again, the Coach Prime book that you're working on with him, Elevate and Dominate, releases March 12th. So we want to make sure people go get a copy. They get uh, it now. We want pre-orders. Pre-orders. Yes. Go to, go to Amazon and get this thing up there. I'm sure it's going to I'd be love to, fantastic. I want to have 12 New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. It's all about me. Come of on, course, let's Don. Get this, yeah. this, this whole conversation's only been about you. Come on now. Um, no, that'll be great. I can't wait for it to come out. And, and I'm certainly going to wish you nothing but the best for that. You and Coach Prime. Yeah. Um, what's God showing you? This is the last question I'll ask you. What's he teaching you today? Uh, lots of wisdom there. Some of the great lessons that you could ever get from a Walter Payton or a John Wooden or a Coach Prime. But what's God showing you right now in the life that you're living well, I, I think he's showing me the um, the fruit of labor, and um, you know there have been a lot of years where you struggle, where you work, or you, and then suddenly you know it, it it would appear that you're just having this fantastic year, right? You're writing a book with Deion Sanders, you're this, you're that, your podcast. I'm doing a podcast that does pretty well right now on corporate competitor podcast. I'm I'm uh, writing another book with the CEO of Delta Airlines, Ed Bastian. I speak 65 times a year to companies. All these things would look like, man, it's, and, and, but it is the, it is the, um, it's the continual plowing of the field, right? It's been out there, uh, the, doing the work that, that didn't get any attention for many years, um, to have this moment. And, uh, but it's really important for me to remember that, uh, that the humility that has to stay with me during that moment is going to be, important too so yeah. it's the mixture of it's a reminder that uh that the grind continues and um uh and that i have to keep it in the right perspective mm. it's beautifully said um tell me the podcast again corporate competitor podcast corporate competitor podcast i interview executives who uh, played sports okay about being an athlete taught them about leadership oh I like this. Uh, Forgive yeah. me for not knowing about this, but I'm going to download it right now. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been a great run. We've had everybody from Condoleezza Rice to uh, to uh, Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've sat down to talk to me about how because uh, there's so much that that translates, and um, oh, yeah. and being an athlete for many of these leaders made a big difference in what in, in the driver of their their leadership style today. It's beautiful. I'm definitely going to recommend that again on the back end too. He is Don Yeager, soon to be 12-time New York Times bestselling author. You like that? 
See, I look, I look, I'm, I may clip that one little piece right there. And that may be that's the social media post I'm going to go with right now. That's Thanks, it. Jay. Let's clip it. Let's get it out there, Don. Hey, this was a real treat for me. Wonderful to talk to you. I'm so glad we got to do this. And thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. And many thanks to Don Yeager for being our guest today on Sports Spectrum. Uh, that was one of the favorite interviews I've ever done at Sports Spectrum. It's been seven years now almost since the show came out, 2017. And the storytelling, the stories, right? Like those are my favorite things about doing this show is stories. And I like quote unquote interviewing people. That's wonderful. But to actually just ask a question and have that person share story after story after story about people like John Wooden. I mean, imagine John Wooden as your mentor. Don Yeager had that. That's incredible. I want to hear all about that. And working with Walter Payton and writing a book about Walter Payton's life right before Walter Payton leaves this earth and the connection to God that they had and they prayed together. And how about Coach Prime and working right now with Deion Sanders on this new book that's coming out on March 12th. Like, that's awesome. Really, really cool stuff. And that's why I said he has this corporate competitor podcast. I want to go listen because I'm sure there's going to be something I take away from every single episode of that podcast as well. Don Yeager, uh, it was wonderful connecting with him. I'm so glad that he joined us here today on Sports Spectrum. I hope you guys were encouraged by everything that you heard from Don Yeager. You can get that new book with Deion Sanders. Pre-order it now. It is called Elevate and Dominate. 21 Ways to Win on and Off the Field. And again, thanks to Don Yeager for being our guest on Sports Spectrum. You can find us at our website, sportspectrum.com, for all of our content. And of course, whatever app you're listening to today's show on with Don Yeager, please click that subscribe or that follow button so that you don't miss any more episodes of the Sports Spectrum podcast. If you feel led to on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review, you can leave a rating, a five-star rating. All of that helps get the word out about sports spectrum we are the intersection of sports and faith maybe you tell someone about today's interview or tell someone about sports spectrum it would mean a ton to us we love you guys we thank you for tuning in and we hope you'll join us next time for another conversation right here on sports spectrum i hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll see you soon